Okay, we're in Lesson 21 today, continuing in our lesson concerning uh, spiritual gifts. We're in Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And we want to just kind of kind of bring us up to date where we are today. First thing I want you to think about is, is that we're looking at an issue that was involving the Corinthian church, and it was the issue of spiritual gifts, and in particular, from what we read in the passage, it was one particular gift that they were struggling with, and that was the issue of tongues. And so I want you to go back to your mind with me a little bit and think about what was going on there. First of all, he starts off in chapter 12, basically telling them that not every manifestation that happens in a church is from God. And so he gave a test that anyone who curses the name of Jesus in a service, that's not, or curses the name of Jesus in period, that's not from the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit would lead a person to say that Jesus is Lord. So he's basically trying to get them to understand that not every manifestation that takes place in a service has to do with God. And so here they are. They are fixated on manifestations and on spiritual gifts in general, and in particular one gift. And so as we've looked at these sections, chapter 12 and chapter 13, there's a couple things I want you to think about. You can even write these down in your notes if you want to. First of all, gifts are not for you, they're for the church. Gifts are not for you in particular, although you benefit from them. Gifts are for the church. And that's what's going on here. He wanted to say that gifts were given by God for use in the church, for the benefit of the church, for the building up of the church, and that needs to be recognized. Because he also mentioned that uh, tongues in particular was a personal gift. The person who speaks in tongues was benefiting from that personally, but there was no benefit to the body or to all of the believers there in that church. So the first thing I want you to recognize is that Gifts were given for the benefit of the church. The next thing I want you to see is, is that Paul told us in chapter 12, is that God is the one who gives the gifts. God is the one who gives the gifts. It is the Holy Spirit, as he wills, who wants individuals to have a gift. And so he gives them a gift or gifts. And we know that that takes place when the Holy Spirit enters into a person's life, when they come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. So, we recognize that it is God is the one who gives the gifts, and as he wills, when he wants to. Now, the other thing I want you to see is, is not everyone has the same gift. Paul makes that point very clearly in chapter 12, is that not everyone has the same gift. In fact, he even asked that question, does everyone have this gift? Does everyone have that gift? And it's a rhetorical question where the assumption is, no, not everyone has the same gift. And he uses this illustration of the human body to make that point. He says, you know, what if everybody was an eye? I mean, what would your life be like if every one of you were an eyeball? There was no hands, no feet, and that's the point he's making. The other thing I want you to write down is that every person is, with their gift, important to the church. Every person and every gift is important to the church. So he also used this in the sense of saying that basically, here you are, you have this certain gift, 
And he uses the body as an illustration. He says, the eye or the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Or the arm can't say to, to the mouth, I don't need you. Every part is important in the body, and so we see that. Now, he wants to, when he comes to chapter 13, the end of chapter 12, he says, seek spiritual gifts. Now, you're to seek to find out what it is that God has equipped you with to benefit the church. And he says, as you seek those gifts, there's something more important. And what's more important, and this is what I want you to understand, what's more important is, is that God says that love is more important than anything else. That's the ultimate thing. And so we see that in chapter 13. If we can do everything else, but we don't have love, we really don't have anything. And so that's where we are. He says that more important than spiritual gifts in a church is the issue of love. So that brings us now to chapter 14, where we're going to talk about the priority of prophecy. So he's going to talk about gifts again, but he's going to say, okay, if we're going to rank gifts, there are some gifts that are more important than others, simply because of the role that they fill in a church and what they do for a church. So I want you to notice with me the greater gift, we're going to see that in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 14. Listen to what the Apostle writes. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So I want you to notice several things here. First of all, the priority. First of all, as we just enter into this discussion concerning spiritual gifts, I want you to notice what the Apostle says. Paul wanted them to pursue love above all else. Paul wanted them to pursue love above all else. Because here, I want you to notice something. When we get into the discussion of spiritual gifts, right off the bat, when you talk about somebody manifesting a spiritual gift, the danger with that is pride. Pride then comes out of a selfish heart, and when you are prideful about what God has equipped you with to benefit the church... You know, pride just pushes out love. And so it, it, it then becomes all about you. And church isn't all about you. It's not about me and it's not about you. Church is about God and everyone, everyone else. And so what Paul wants them to do is, is we're going to enter into this discussion in particular specifically now about spiritual gifts. He wants them above everything else as they're seeking spiritual gifts in their lives to pursue love more than anything else. And here's the thing. When you pursue love, it's not a selfish pursuit. It's a selfless pursuit. That you are pursuing love for the benefit of others. So the first thing he wants them to recognize, as we see there in verse 1, is the priority is that he wanted them to pursue love above all else. And then in verse 1, the latter part of verse 1, he gives an encouragement. Paul encourages them to seek spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So he's saying, if you're going to pursue spiritual gifts, then you need to recognize that there's a greater gift for you to pursue because the benefit of that gift 
far exceeds any other spiritual gifts. If you're going to pursue spiritual gifts, you need to pursue prophecy. Now, the question is, you might be asking, now, what in the world is prophecy? Because you maybe have heard different things, and you hear people say they have the gift of being a prophet, which a lot of times when you hear that, it's really an excuse for people to, quote, tell people like it is without any concern for their feelings or whatnot. But that's not what the gift of prophecy is. The gift of prophecy is the reception and declaration of a word from the Lord through a direct prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's the reception and declaration of a word from the Lord through the direct prompting of the Holy Spirit. So, in that context, that's what prophecy was. They didn't have the New Testament as we had. And so, basically, as they were in their in their um, their circles and worshiping. In fact, I want to remind you of something. First Corinthians was probably the first letter written at this time, and so therefore they didn't have the New Testament truth, the writings of the apostle down in written form. So they didn't have truth. So the Holy Spirit would prompt individuals to proclaim truth, and that's what prophecy is. In fact, we get the word prophet from that one who speaks the word of the Lord. And so he's saying, look, if you're going to pursue a gift, pursue a gift that proclaims the word of truth, the word of God, as the Holy Spirit gives you understanding. And so then he goes on in verse 2 and he talks about what the nature of tongues. In fact, uh, we see it in verse, actually, uh, look at verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So here's what he's saying. Tongues are a personal gift. In fact, you'll hear people say that. You'll hear people say that tongues are a private prayer language. And you know, really when they say that, there's nothing biblically wrong with them saying that because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that it is a personal gift. So one gift is prophecy, the proclaiming of truth. The other gift, the tongues, which is what they were pursuing, was a personal gift. Now, what he does in verses 3 and 4 is he wants to compare them. He wants to compare the two gifts to show you which is the greater gift. So, notice with me in verse 3, he then says that prophecy benefits the church with exhortation, edification, and comfort. Prophecy that is the proclaiming of truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit benefits the church with exhortation. Now, what's exhortation? It's encouragement. It's encouraging them to continue on in their walk. Edification, the building up. That's the maturing process, the strengthening of them through teaching, edification, and comfort. Why comfort? Because I want you to think about it. They're in a pagan culture where everybody's worshiping gods, everybody's worshiping Caesar, and it's almost a part of citizenship that you worship all of these gods. You don't worship one god. Sounds like almost like what's happening today, isn't it? And here's what's happening. You become a target. And so when they gather together in worship, when they gather together as a church on the Lord's Day, the first day, on Sunday, together, and they probably spent all day together, they would gather together, not just to encourage one another, not just to build one another up, 
they would gather together to comfort one another in spite of what they were facing and the hardships they were facing. And so prophecy, Paul says, benefits the church in these three areas. That's why prophecy is so important. But here's what he notice what he says. He compares prophecy with tongues. Notice what he says about tongues. Tongues only edify the speaker. Tongues only edify the one speaking them. And see, and that's so important for us to understand. So you see people and they, they emphasize that you need to speak in tongues. If you're, if you're going to be a spirit-filled Christian, you need to speak in tongues. Well, the problem is, okay, tongues doesn't benefit the church if it's uninterpreted. Now notice he says, it's okay if they're going to have somebody stand up and say, this is what tongues means. But just simply speaking tongues for the sake of speaking tongues, that only edifies the speaker. That only edifies the speaker. So then he goes on and talks about, notice what he says in verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more, that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless he indeed interprets that the church may receive edification. So here's what he's saying. Paul proclaims prophecy as the greater gift because it benefits the church. Listen, if you and I are going to exercise our gifts, if we're going to pursue gifts, we need to, because love is the most dominating thing in our mind, when we talk about love, we're talking about ceasing to be selfish and becoming selfless, we're going to seek a gift that is going to benefit everybody else, not just ourselves. And so he's saying that prophecy is the greater gift because it benefits everyone in the church, period. Period. And so that's the greater gift. So I want you to notice with me now. He's going to try to make another point concerning this whole issue of prophecy being more important and that they needed to back off from their fixation, and that's exactly what it was, a fixation on manifestations, and talk about being focused on a gift that's right and focused on a gift that is going to benefit all. So he argues from intelligence. So look with me at verses 6 through 12. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be made known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by tongue words easy to understand, how will it be made known what is spoken, for you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if you do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So we're going to notice a couple things here. First of all, there's a general principle in verse 6. Here's what he's saying. And this fits right into this whole fixation that they had on tongues. 
He's going to, here's what he's saying. Speaking without intelligence will not benefit the church. Getting up and speaking without intelligence will not benefit the church. Will not benefit the church. It's not going to be of any benefit if everyone got up and spoke in an unknown tongue or language or prayer language or whatever in a service that's not going to benefit the body here because nobody understands what's going on. And so to add to, just to illustrate the general principle that speaking without intelligence will not benefit it, he uses the illustration of music. And so here's what he's saying. Musical notes and sounds need to be clear and intelligible or they're annoying. So for instance, if I came over here to this piano and I said, okay folks, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. Okay, let's get ready. Here we go. I'm going to start off. Amazing grace, how sweet. I don't know how to play. But, and, and obviously so. You can tell I don't know how to play. Okay? Now, as we're singing that song, those notes that I was pounding out there, and that definitely was pounding out there on the piano there, those notes that I was pounding out there to the tune of Amazing Grace, that's not going to be edifying to you. That's not going to be encouraging to you. That's not going to lift you up into a spirit of worship or give you a glimpse of God. That's going to be annoying to you because what I was pounding out there on the piano really had no sense to it, no order to it, no meaning at all for you and your worship of God. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, Going back to that general principle, if I'm going to share in church, if I'm going to exercise my gift, if there's no intelligence to it, really, it's not going to benefit anyone in the church. And so here's the implication. He says the implication in verse 9, speaking without intelligence is nothing more than the venting of air. If I'm just going to get up here and just say nothing, it really isn't going to be of any benefit to you. No benefit. None. It's just simply venting air. And that's the whole point he's making here. So then he goes on in verse 10 and 11, and as he gets into verse 10 and 11, he's going to use the illustration of language. So notice with me, human language, apart from a shared understanding of their meaning, is worthless. So, for instance, we have several missionaries that we support right here in our church, they, they're from the countries that they're serving in. If they were to come and visit us, and I would say to them, look, you have the opportunity to share with us, bring a message from the Lord that you would have for us, and they get up and they share. For instance, we have missionaries there in Japan, and they get up and they he preaches in his native tongue of Japanese. How many of us here would even understand what he's saying? None of us. What benefit would his message be because we don't understand anything that he's saying? I mean, he could be up there just pounding her way, speaking very passionately and sharing what was on his heart, but he's sharing in another language that none of us understands. It would have no benefit for any of us. Now, we would be kind with him. We would be, oh, that was nice. But we wouldn't have understood a thing that he said. That's what Paul is saying. Human language, apart from shared understanding, is worthless. So, if you're going to share your gift, and if, especially, he's, and he's pointing out the issue of tongues here, if you're going to exercise that gift, 
it really, it really is of no benefit if there's no understanding of it. No benefit. So then he gets to verse 12, and he wants to wrap up this whole discussion from intelligence with verse 12. And notice what he says in verse 12. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, notice now, they're zealous. They want spiritual gifts, but see, they're focused on spiritual gifts selfishly, not for the benefit of the church. But notice what he says. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So he says, look, you're zealous for gifts, wonderful, great. Pursue the gifts that are going to help the church. So that brings me to the point. Paul encourages them to seek after gifts that benefit the church. Paul encourages them to seek after gifts that benefit the church. Look, if you're going to pursue anything, pursue it for the, for the betterment, for the encouragement, for the strengthening of the whole, not just yourself. And look, there's a, there's a great principle here, because I want you to understand something. Christianity at its very heart is not selfish. Because when you look at the Christ, when you look at our Savior, and when He died, He didn't die for Himself, He died for us. He committed the greatest selfless act on our behalf. And so there it is, the founder of, 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 of our worldview, of, what we, of our salvation, the author and finisher of the work, died for others. And so here he is. He saves us, not for us to focus on ourselves, but to what? Focus on others. That's why he would later, that's why he would say earlier that love is the priority. Love is the priority. So he gives the argument from intelligence. Then he goes on and he talks about what the implications are. Verses 13 through 19. See, there's some implications here for the church. As we look at this, as we, as we understand this, look with me at verse 13 through 19 and notice what he says. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. And I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen? At your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For indeed, give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than ten thousand words in a tongue. So here's what he's saying. A couple of things. Notice, first of all, the encouragement. One should have an interpreter if they are to speak in tongues. Look, if, you, if you're going to exercise that gift, if you feel that's the gift that God has given you, then fine. It's going to have to be for the benefit of the body. So here's what he's saying. If you're going to exercise that gift, you feel that that gift is for you, then he's saying, okay, I'm not going to argue with you about it, but if you're going to benefit the body, then you need to pray that God raises up somebody to interpret what you're saying. That gift is to be exercised with someone interpreting what you're saying so the whole body benefits from it, period. That's what he's saying. That's the implication. That's the encouragement here. He goes on and gives a personal example. Tongues plus understanding 
are more beneficial than without. So here you are, you're going to exercise that gift and you don't have someone interpreting, that is of no benefit to anyone else. But if you have somebody who interprets it, then that gift is a benefit to the whole body, period. Because there is something there for the whole body. So tongues plus understanding are more beneficial than without. So here's the implications. The gift benefits the individual, but it does not edify others. So tongues by itself, boy, it gives a benefit, and you, and you talk to those who speak about tongues, and, they, and it's something that they want in their lives. They pursue it. In fact, they're so excited about it, they want others to enjoy that gift as well. But the problem is, by itself, it only benefits them. It doesn't edify others. It doesn't edify others. By itself, it only benefits them. No one else. Just themselves. And so Paul gives the exhortation. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says this. Paul would rather speak with understanding so that others would be edified. Listen, he says, if I'm going to speak, if I'm going to say anything in a service, if I'm going to say anything in a church, if I'm in a gathering of believers together, if I'm going to say anything in worship, I'm going to seek to speak with understanding. Why? So that others around me will be edified. They'll be built up. They'll be strengthened. They'll be encouraged. They'll be benefited. If I'm going to seek to do something, I'm not up there for me. See, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about others around us. It's about God. We've got to remember that. We've got to recognize that. That's the issue. The issue is God and Him. So that's what he's saying here. So then notice with me, as he goes on, he talks about the implications then for unbelievers. Because, listen, it's not just the issue with how does it benefit the church. Paul says there's another issue that needs to be considered here when we talk about this gift and about pursuing gifts and about what's more important. It's how unbelievers see it. It's the implication for unbelievers. So notice with me verse 22 25. This is the final section. Notice with me what he says. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, but however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with the men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but for unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say to you that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Several things I want you to see here. First of all, the call to maturity. Verse 20. Paul calls them to be mature in understanding and simple and evil. Be mature. In fact, notice what he says there. I want you to take a look at what he says there. Verse 20. He said, don't be children in your understanding. Don't be so simple. And you notice how children are. 
As, when, when you talk about children, children are rather selfish. Have you noticed that? It's just a natural tendency because when you talk about a child, all they think about is themselves and what will benefit them. Notice, your, notice what some of the issues that you have with your children and when you struggle with them about stuff and about their attitudes and different things. The issue is what they want that they feel is going to benefit them and bring them happiness. And so this is what he's saying to the Corinthians. He's saying, guys, you're acting like children. Quit being children in your understanding, especially in this whole area of gifts. Especially in this whole area of gifts. Quit being children. You need to be mature in your understanding of what's going on. You need to be mature in your understanding of gifts. You need to be mature in your understanding of what's more important in church. You need to be mature. In fact, you, as you are mature, you need to be simple and evil. Simple in selfishness. Simple in the things that are anti-God and what he wants for his church. And so there's a call to maturity. So then he goes on and talks about what the purpose of tongues are. And this is very important for us, the purpose of tongues. Tongues are to be a sign to unbelievers, whereas prophecy is for believers. Tongues are to be a sign. But notice as he talks about them being a sign, as he quotes that scripture from the law in verse 21, he says, With men of other tongues and, and other lips, I will speak to this people. But notice what he said, Yet, for all that, they will not hear me. Even though it's a sign to them, there's no guarantee that they're going to respond. So tongues are a sign to unbelievers. And so he qualifies that because then he talks about it in reference to what's even more important for an unbeliever is not just the sign of gifts, the sign of tongues. He talks about this. Unbelievers will see unrestrained tongues as mentally unstable. If you have a worship service where everybody is manifesting that gift and there's no interpretation, no understanding, if somebody comes from the outside who's uninformed or who's an unbeliever, they will come into that service and I can almost guarantee you they're going to look at everybody and say, these people are out of their mind. That's what Paul's saying. These people are crazy. These people are too emotional. They're losing control. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, well, I thought you said it was a sign. Yes, it may be a sign, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to understand it. And that's what Paul's saying here. In fact, they're going to look at it and say, they're what? Crazy. In fact, there's a biblical illustration to give you that point. Remember Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God came upon them and they spoke in other languages. That is, they literally spoke in languages of the people around them as the Spirit gave them utterance. People there say, look, these guys are speaking in our language. How do, they, how do they know that? Some of them said, these people are drunk. These people have been drinking. See, their reaction was to say that these people are crazy. For which Peter had to say, look, it's nine o'clock in the morning. There's no way these folks have been drinking. So here's the point. Unbelievers will see unrestrained tongues as mentally unstable. But he goes on and he wants to qualify again, showing us what the greater gift is and the priority of prophecy. He concludes in verse 24 and 25 by saying, unbelievers will be convicted by the proclaiming of God's word. See, it is truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit through his word that will convict an individual of their sin and show them their need for Jesus Christ 
And they'll respond to that. In fact, notice how he says it there in verse 24. Verse 25. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. That is the work of the Spirit. As he takes what is intelligible, that that person can understand, and he uses it, truth of God, as revealed by the Spirit, he uses it in their life and convicts them of the secret things. Notice what he says, the secret things, the darkness of their heart, he convicts them about it, and they realize their need for Jesus. And he says, God is truly among them. Isn't it interesting? He says that God is truly among them because of the proclamation of truth, not the manifestation of some gift. It's the proclamation of truth that causes a person to say God is truly there, not some experience that everybody is having. That's the point that Paul's making. Gifts are not for our personal benefit, but for the benefit of others around us. Look, next week, we're going to, in our Sunday school time, uh, continue on with some more instruction concerning the exercise of gifts as we look at the last part of uh, chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. And he's going to give some guidelines for the exercise of gifts, and he's going to give us some final thoughts concerning this. And so... That's what we're going to look at next week. So let's, let's close our time in prayer.